Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world, and we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Last week, as regular listeners know, it was my 200th show, and uh, that really means a hell of a lot to me, and uh, I appreciate everybody who sent congratulations and everybody involved in last week's show. Four years behind us, and... uh, we're still going, and I look forward to having you join us for that journey. Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, as we all know, announced on Thursday that an extraordinary one billion people used Facebook last Monday. Think about it. One thousand million people all used Facebook last Monday. So, One person in every seven across the entire planet was on Facebook last Monday. Phew, that is an unbelievable achievement. Facebook's got 1.5 billion monthly users, which is more people than live in China. So whether you like Facebook or hate it, this is an amazing milestone. My opinion of Zuckerberg's gone up a huge amount because he does do an enormous amount for charity and uh, particularly for education. And uh, for that, he has to be saluted. Now, I'm sure that every one of us at one time or another thinks about quitting our job and starting our own thing. But we're really not sure whether it's the right thing to do. You know, we're scared of failing. We're terrified of going broke, um, of our whole standard of living going to hell, the loved ones that trust us, we don't want to see them disappointed by our failure. And a lot of people are just scared that they can't live up to their own expectations. Well, in my view, if you have a driving passion to start your own thing, get off your ass and get out there and do it. You'll regret it if you don't. The reward is not just the money, which, of course, most early-stage entrepreneurs don't have. In fact, over 90% of businesses fail. So why am I encouraging you to go out and become an entrepreneur? Well, you know, I had one of the best jobs of all time, um, and I was working with some of the best organizations in the world, and I was earning a shed load of money. And I decided that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So 35 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it was, I went out and became an entrepreneur. Now, we were just talking about it a couple of days ago with another entrepreneur who was in a similar situation. And we were saying, you know, if we had stayed in the jobs we were in, we'd probably be better off now than we are. But we wouldn't have had the fun. You know, we wouldn't have had, I would have been a multi-squillionaire and, um, but we wouldn't have had the fun. So let me give you a few reasons why starting your own business might just be the best decision you ever make in your life. 
And if you've been wondering about whether or not you should do it, you just have to go and give it a go. So the first reason you should be an entrepreneur is that um, you remove all those what-ifs. You know, oh, geez, I wonder what would have happened if I had become an entrepreneur 30 years ago when I thought about it instead of being in this boring, bloody job that I'm in. So if you're talented enough to be good at what your passion is about, then make it your business. Competition's fierce. The market's going to be tough for a while. Finances are going to be grim. It's going to keep you up at night. You're not going to get any sleep. You're going to fight with your spouse. So what's your alternative? Stick to the boring, repetitive nine-to-five job. Worry, fight with your spouse. (laughs) I don't think so. So if you're bored senseless in your job and you're not excited about getting up in the morning and going to work, follow your passion. Have some fun. Get some freedom. Now, starting your own business is really scary, but it's a sure way to get rid of the what-ifs, especially if you're in your 20s and you don't have a family to feed. You know, you've got nothing to lose, have you? You think about it for a minute. Nothing to lose and a whole lot to gain. Okay, the second reason we should become an entrepreneur is that you will really accelerate your learning curve. You know, as an employee, you learn about your role and your industry and you keep doing the same shit week in, week out, forever. However, being your own boss, you have to learn everything. You've got to learn marketing and accounting and operations and finance and production and You know, you've got to keep up to date with the new technology and all the tools and consumer trends and industry news. Before you know it, you'll be a lifelong learner. There's no better way to accelerate your learning curve like starting your own business. It is the best way to do it. Thirdly, you'll learn to be an independent thinker. And you'll trust your instincts. Starting your own business requires you to think on your feet a lot. You have to make decisions without a boss or team members being there to bounce ideas off. You learn to make decisions independently and become decisive. You trust your gut because nobody else understands it quite like you do. It is a great feeling to make your own decisions and be responsible for them. Now, the fourth reason that you should become an entrepreneur is that you will wake up every day driven and motivated to go to work. Nothing feels as exciting as following your passion and your dreams You'll have a few sleepless nights because you worry about where the next dollar's coming from and you think about ideas and strategy and your competitors. But you wake up every day driven, going to get out there and make it happen. And if you're working for somebody else, you really don't get out there and make it happen because you really don't care that much. And the reward will be really worth it. The fifth reason you should become an entrepreneur is because you really need to know what it's like to follow your passion compared with just going to work. You know, why do some people decide to become a struggling artist instead of doing something else for a living? Because it's so fulfilling. You follow your dreams, you follow your heart. It's passion, it's fulfillment. 
you know, you're your own boss and you're creating something that you really own and love. The sixth reason you should become an entrepreneur is that you'll become a lot more daring and fearless. Trust me. You have to believe in yourself and make daring decisions over and over again. You know, most of us have got some form of self-limiting belief, but you'll learn that nothing's to be scared of. You just go out there, you charge ahead, you do the best you can, you knock over the walls as they pop up, and your comfort zone just continues to expand. Your confidence continues to expand. You learn how to initiate contacts. You learn how to approach people. You learn to make things happen. And even if you have absolutely no idea about something, you do it, that you do, you'll learn about it in every way you can. You'll rapidly get used to being outside your comfort zone. The seventh reason is that you'll become a person of action and not just words. A hell of a lot of people talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Well, as an entrepreneur, you can't just talk the talk because you're going to fail. You have to talk the talk and you have to walk the walk and you have to take action. You have to keep your words and you have to follow through. Being an entrepreneur teaches you that things just don't happen as you want them to. Things happen that you make happen. So you can't ask somebody else to do it for you or expect a colleague to help. You're on your own and only actions will bring your idea to life. The eighth reason is that you quickly realise that there are so many talented and ambitious people out there. The world is bloody full of them. You're not alone. And all these people, one of the things that I've found, particularly here in Los Angeles, is that everybody wants to help you. Everybody wants to work with you. Everyone's prepared to share things with you. Everybody's prepared to point you in the right direction and give you, you know, the benefit of their experience and give you advice and give you recommendations. And that's incredibly valuable. And the more you get immersed into the entrepreneur's world and interact with other entrepreneurs the more opportunities you'll find and the more driven you will become. You cannot beat being an entrepreneur. And the ninth reason is that you will never doubt yourself ever again. Starting your own business takes a lot of guts. And doing it week in, week out and continually fighting the odds and and making decisions and getting out there in front of people will help you to rapidly believe that whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're going to be right. If you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you won't. So it's all up to you. It's all in your mind. It's a great place to be. You'll never hesitate to invest in yourself because it's the only thing that will continue to multiply and can never be taken away from you so you'll end up being a much better person and the tenth reason that you should become an entrepreneur is that you'll want to do it over and over again why does an entrepreneur go out there and work his butt off for two or three years and fail lose everything 
Wife's work, walked out, taken the kids, taken the goldfish. You've got absolutely bugger all. So what's the first thing you do? Find another startup. Start another business. You know, you might have succeeded in the first one. You might have failed. But the fact you've learned so much along the way makes it all worthwhile. And there's a real rush. There's excitement, fear, tears, sleepless nights. You know, they're experiences you wouldn't have had if you hadn't started your own business. Now, you're always going to be out looking for the right opportunity to do it all over again. Being an entrepreneur gets in your blood. So there's 10 really good reasons why you should be an entrepreneur. Now, don't forget, if you're a company director, a manager, an executive, or an entrepreneur, you should join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management. You know, it's there to help you raise the standard and proficiency of both yourself and your business. There are stacks of um, um, reference tools. There are seminars. There are blogs. There are a network of people. I mean, it is a fantastic um, organization, and you should be a, a member of it. And you get to have the initials AISMM after your name. Um, you know, my um, my business card and my um, signature on my email says Bob Pritchard, BSC, BBA, AISMM. And it really works for you. So you should join up. So uh, go to AISMM.us and join. I mentioned last week that the Institute's joined up with the fabulous hashtag Yes We Code organization who are recruiting hundreds of grassroots training programs. They're teaming up with all the major technology partners and celebrities and political leaders, and, um, people like entertainers like Prince and um, people, all sorts of business leaders. So um, to promote the aim of training 100,000 low-opportunity youth to become high-level computer programmers. You know, I said last week, it's absolutely bloody absurd that almost 100% of Chinese high school students can write code, yet only 6% of American students can, and yet we're in a technology world. This is just plain bloody nuts. So I'm thrilled to be involved with hashtag YesWeCode and to have the Institute involved with Yes We Code. And if you want to help, go to yeswecode.org. They are a great organization. Now, after the break, my guest is Jeffrey Hazlett, who's a fabulous guy. He's very funny. He's a primetime television host. He's a global business celebrity. He's a speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's the author of um, a couple of best-selling books. He's got a new book, Think Big, Act bigger being released this month and you've probably seen him as a celebrity judge on celebrity apprentice with donald trump he is a fantastic guy seriously and what he doesn't know about um about business hasn't been invented yet this guy is something jeffrey hazlett and i'll be back with jeffrey hazlett on voice america business channel on the bob pritchard radio show right after this short break
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last four years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 220 of the world's most interesting business people. We'll tell you what they do, how they do it, and we try to get to what makes them tick. You know, it's really bloody difficult to create a successful business. And we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's so important for every one of you, no matter whether you're an entrepreneur or what level of business you're in, it's important to have mentors. Surround yourself with people who have been there, done that, know their stuff. And take on board the advice that um, is provided by successful people. You should listen to every interview because it's amazing what you can get out of it. And, you know, we probably don't think about it, but everybody in business, doesn't matter where they are in the world or whether they're running a dry cleaning shop or whether they're creating an app, we all face exactly the same challenges. Everybody thinks that their product's so fantastic that people are going to beat their, a path to the door. But trust me, it don't happen. And most entrepreneurs are experts at what they do. But the reason that 93% of businesses fail is not because the product isn't any good. It's because the entrepreneur isn't any good. They don't know anything about business. And therefore, the companies fail. So that's why it's critical that you follow, observe, and listen to those that have overcome the challenges that all of us face. My guest today is a really cool guy. And... Um, I first saw him speak at Metal, oh, I don't know, a few years ago now, I think, and uh, he was brilliant. And Jeffrey Hazlett is a primetime television host of C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett um, and Executive Perspectives on C-Suite TV. He's the business radio host of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, which is on CBS On Demand Radio Network, Play It. He's also a global business celebrity. He's a speaker, best-selling author. He's very shy. And he's chairman of... I'm, I was joking about the shy bit. But he's <laughs> he's the um, best-selling author, and he's the chairman of C-Suite Network. He's a great public speaker. He really is a sensational public speaker and the author of two best-selling business books, The Mirror Test and Running the Gauntlet. His third book, Think Big, Act Bigger, 
which is exactly what we all need to do. Otherwise, you end up and also ran like most people out there. And the new book, Think Big, Act Bigger, is released this month. He's a leading business expert. He's cited in every business magazine. He um, he shares his executive insight and commentary on television networks like Bloomberg and MSNBC and Fox News and C-Suite TV. And he's a former Bloomberg contributing editor and primetime host. And you've probably seen him as a guest celebrity judge on NBC Celebrity Apprentice. Apprentice with Donald Trump for three seasons. Now that'd be interesting if nothing else. <laughs> that might be there might be a question in there somewhere. Um, he's a turnaround architect of the highest order, a maverick marketer, and a C-suite executive who delivers scalable campaigns. He embraces traditional modes of customer engagement and possesses a remarkable cachet of mentorship, corporate governance, and brand building. That's not a bad intro, is it? He's also a really good guy, and it's my great pleasure to introduce Jeffrey Hazlett, business superstar, to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show again. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Thanks. You got me laughing through part of that <laughs> intro, uh, so I'm I, sorry to interrupt you. I, mean, I, was, I was breaking radio silence there for a minute because you, you got me laughing, which is great. Mate, if you, ta- if you take business too seriously, you're probably going to end up putting a a gun to your head. Um, you know, exactly. That, uh, you know, in fact, Bob, that's even one of my, my rules. I, you know, I, I always give three things that I have to have in every business I'm doing or I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And that one of those is, hey, building wealth, because in the end, you know, you know that's how we keep track, how much yep. money we make. The, the second is, is to being able to learn or do something different, you know, that I learn from that's interesting. Yep. To me, that's exciting. And then, the, you know, that that's really important for me because I like to learn new things. And sometimes I get done with those things and then I, I just go off and start another business because I really like to learn new things. Right. And then the third one is have fun. Yeah, you got to have fun. Yep. Yeah. It's, You're bloody those, long are, those time are hard and fast you? rules. Exactly. Those are hard and fast rules for me. If I can't have all three of those things, I really don't want to do it. And, yep. and I try to get out of it, you know. And if you don't love it and you're not having fun, you're not going to do it well. And somebody's exactly going to come along right. and beat you over the head. So. Well, you know, because it's it's so hard. You know, I, I write in the new book, Think Big, Act Bigger. They call it hard work because it's hard. <laughs> That's <laughs> the is. bottom line. It, it's, it's, it's not supposed to be easy because not everybody can do it. That's the reason why so many businesses fail. It's one of the reasons. I mean, there's yeah. many reasons why you don't have enough cash. You don't, you're not smart enough. You, you made some stupid decisions. You hired the wrong people. There's a whole list of, you know, things that go wrong, but, but by and large, it's because we don't work as hard as we need to. And, and, and you really got to put in the extra time, no matter what business it is. And I, exactly. I, I work till sometimes one, two o'clock in the morning, get back up at four or five and head back in because that's what I love to do. Yeah, and you know if you're working globally too, you have to because you know every second oh. person you got to calls. <laughs> it's four o'clock in the afternoon when it's your two o'clock in the morning. I, th- exactly. I was saying, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that um, you know if 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 you want to be a plumber, you got to go and get a license, or if you want to be a bus driver, you got to go and get a license. But if you want to start a business and borrow money and get money off investors and risk it all and make dumbass mistakes. You don't need anything. 
All you need to do is go down, go to Vegas and spend a thousand bucks on a on a business, and off you go. And there seems to me to be something fundamentally wrong with that because most people, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you. You go into a business to have a look at them, and as soon as you walk in the door, you know what's wrong with the place. You know, you can just talk yeah. to the CEO for two minutes and you know what the hell's wrong. And it's because they don't have a clue, usually. <laughs> well, exactly, Bob. You know, I've bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, and I've owned a great number of them as well, uh, you know, in that process, because some of those businesses I bought for companies that I was part of, a, a bigger company, you know, like a yeah. Kodak or a Simbeo or a Melwell, uh, where we bought, you know, bought 100 and some companies in one particular year, but, you know, and I've, sought, I've, I've bought some of those companies for billions and sold some for billions and, and some for nothing and, and others I've just shut down. But you're exactly right. You can walk into a business and smell it, taste yep. it, feel it within moments of yeah, being in there. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's just the mood. A lot of times it's just looking around and seeing how dirty the place is or messy the place is or, or uh, you know, I've sat down before and. And, you know, going about to buy a printing, but there was a printing business one year I was going to buy. And I sat down with the owner and, you know, when I, when I was outside, I noticed he had a brand new car. He was in a brand new building. And then I got inside the business and he started looking and showed me the books and they were, they were not making any money. Yeah. And, and I, and so he told me, this is what he wanted to sell for. I said, well, that's not what your books say. He goes, well, I don't put everything in the books. Well, I don't buy things that aren't in the books, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and it's always interesting to, to look around and see. And you can see a lot of things just by observing. Yep. And yep. a big, big piece of it. Yeah. So what does it mean to think big and act bigger? Well, it, you know, it's a move. You, you know, Australians and Americans, we have a, a, lot, a lot in common this way about walking with a little swagger. And, and, the, and I think that's what business owners and business leaders need to do a little bit. That is to say... Look, I am not going to let people put self, you know, perceived obstacles in my way. I am not going to let people say I can't do this or we tried this before. I'm going to do the things I want to do. And it's really taking on a mood or an attitude, uh, I call it a little swagger, that says I'm going to win against the odds. And I'm going to do it this way. And it doesn't always mean it's right or it's wrong. It just means it's your way. And it means to think big and act bigger because you know, it's not the lucky who win in the end. It's no. really the relentless. And I mean, you know, the reason Steve Jobs was so successful is he was relentless. He would not settle. You know, that's why I say sometimes business owners and leaders need to be a little pig-headed. We need a little, be a little stubborn sometimes, and sometimes even irrational in order to get people where we want to go. You know, we tell our, our, our teams sometimes they think we're crazy because we say we're going to go from point A to B. No, 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 no. We're going to go to point C way past B. And everybody says, no, well, I've got to say point C in order to get you to point B, you know? Yeah. So that's why it's got to be a little irrational. And that's what I'm talking about. Think big, act bigger. I think also, if you've got that confidence about you, it's amazing. Confidence is 90% of the sell. If you go in and you're confident and you've got to know your stuff too, and, you, and you've got to be able to talk a bit like you and me, I guess, talk underwater. But nevertheless, if you're confident and you know your stuff, that's 90% of your sell. Um, and, oh, big um, time, big time. So, and if, if you've well, got... And then the other piece, to, the, go ahead. I'm sorry, Bob. Go if ahead. You've got any, if you've got any doubt at all, then you'll probably lose. Exactly. And you have to have the confidence. But here's the thing. So what if you make a mistake? No one's going to die. I mean, by and large, 
you know, it's going to cost you a little money, it's going to cost you some time, you might have to redo something. But by and large, for the most of the things that we're going to do in business today, no one's going to die. And that's, I think, one of the biggest lessons you have to learn in business is that, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Just don't make a ton of them. Now, but at the same time, don't get in the habit of it. Because I talk about failure. Everybody's wearing, you know, this badge of, of failure is a, like a badge of courage or a badge of acceptance. And I'm saying with failure, hey, I don't know about you, but when you fail, you're losing. So, you know, everybody talks about failing fast. How about winning fast? How about yeah. getting on the right side of winning, not on the right side of losing? And I've, I've watched these people who are now, you know, claiming failure is a success. That's bullshit. You know, <laughs> I don't no, I agree. I don't agree that you, yeah, I don't think you should be giving out, you know, uh, trophies for people who fail or people who just show up. I think you only give the trophies to the winners. Yeah. And so that's a big part of what you need to be doing in business is winning. It's, you know, I get that you're going to fail. That's part of the thing. But turn your failures into successes. In fact, many times uh, uh, people come to me and say, what's your biggest failure? I said, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. You know, and, <laughs> you got and, big ones coming. <laughs> exactly, I've got yeah. a lot more, but I've also got a lot more successes coming. And and you know, you don't you don't hire coaches because of their failure record. You oh, hire coaches, right. and you hire winning players because of their winning record. And that's what you need to have in business too. Yeah, I'm one of those people who. And, and a lot of people criticize me for this, but I believe that there's first, and the person who comes second is just ahead of all the losers. And I really believe that. It's like you, know. you don't want to be the lead dog. You don't want to be the second dog because the view ain't very pretty. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you can't win, bugger it. I'm not playing. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> why is it critical to create a business identity that um, that you can own? That how, And how do you go about that? Well, I think I think people buy buy business or buy buy things from people they know. I think they buy from personalities. I think they buy from an image. I think they buy from whatever the brand promise is. And so that's why I say you can't just be the other guy. You've got to be the guy, the gal, the business, the best service. And so that's what I'm saying. Create the story. What's the story? You know, you, you went through a lot of what me about me as you did the introduction. And I, you know, I've, I've created my own brand around the Jeff Hazel brand, and that's what we call it. You know, we sometimes refer to me as a third party, but in essence, we've created this global business celebrity cowboy, you know, yep. and, and, and that's the story. And so we're really clear about what's the brand essence. And so when you look at your business itself, what's your story? What's the thing that people that sets you apart? Because that's the real value. That that's the that's the want. That's the things that people want to go touch and be a part of. And you know whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a dry cleaner, whether you know your gas station. What's your story besides just being one of those? Yeah. And and and, well, and then walk with that. Yeah, exactly. What's your unique? In fact, a lot of people would call it that unique selling proposition, right? Your USP. And, and, and I think do it with some flair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, that swagger. Get that swagger. I don't believe in a USP because uh, a USP, unique selling proposition, supposes that the most important person in the transaction is the seller. Um, I've, I've always believed in a consumer purchasing benefit. What? You know, because the only person that really counts anymore in any transaction, doesn't matter what it is, is the buyer. The customer, the yeah. only person that counts. If you, you can go into a bar and walk up to the best-looking girl you've ever seen, and it's not about you. 
But you're exactly right, Bob. I mean, it's really about, and that's what we've done in business for a long, long time, is yeah. we force people into 800 numbers and, and t- telephone trees, and we're only open eight to five and this and that, rather than focusing on what the customer wants and then need, because then those become the real value. Like yeah. how, I, how I package it, how I deliver, that's what I was talking about, the USP, and it's very similar to what you're, you're saying, in that how do you package that to where they want to pay you for it and pay you at a higher rate than what they would do with somebody else because you're giving them that much extra. And then, again, that story that you're able to deliver to them. Yeah, and it makes a big difference. And, and I'm, I'm always surprised why more people don't build their own personal brand. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I live on building my personal brand. And uh, so people will come and see you simply because they know of you. They, they know what you've done. So they, they search you out. And you don't have to go through all that selling bullshit because they're buying. You're not selling. Right. And, well, and people, you can do that with a, but you can do that with a small business, right? Yeah, you, you can. can. Be, Absolutely. That, you can do that with any business and, and a dry cleaner. And again, I use that as an example, but anyone, because you're the best, because I say, sell you, you sell the business, sell the business, sell you because people do business, not do business, not with businesses, but with real people. Yeah. With real people. And you need to be perceived to be the best. You don't necessarily have to be. Well, that helps yeah. if you are. Well, perception perception, perception. Is, is reality. And, yep, and if you can't continue to deliver on it, then you've got a real problem. But oh, it'll yeah, get sure. them in the door to begin with. And then as long as you deliver at least a portion of that way, you're still, you, you can still hold out. So how do you go about coming up with that differential? I mean, if you're, if you're selling well, hamburgers and there's 50 billion people sell hamburgers, um, how do you create a McDonald's-type image? Well, or better yet, a McDonald's on steroids, which, and I don't mean to use steroids in terms of beef, but what I'm talking about is the value prop, you know, that value again. What's yeah. the way in which you do that? So what, what would be unique about it? Maybe it's a lamb burger. Maybe it's an extra fat burger. Maybe it's the bacon you put on the burger. Maybe it's all natural. Maybe it's all those things. You've got to find those niches that put, you know, separate you away from everybody else. That's different. That's better. You know, maybe you only use you know, gluten-free bread or something, you know, I don't know what those would be, but, you know, I'm looking for the fattiest juice of burger in the world. Let me give you a story. If you remember Henry Ford, um, his son, or maybe it was his grandson, I think it was his son, he used to have this, he used to say in the executive dining room was the best hamburger in the world. He used to brag about it. And Lee Iacocca, who was working there at the time uh, at Ford before he went over to run Chrysler, used to go and have a burger with, with Henry Ford. Right. And as he would sit there in the dining room, he finally, you know, Henry Ford would go on and on about this burger. Well, finally, Lee Iacocca was going to have him over, so he went to see the chef in the executive dining room of Ford to find out what kind of hamburger this was because he wanted to impress Henry Ford when he had him over to his house. Right. And so he went and found out that what the chefs would do would take a prime rib steak and make hamburger out of that prime rib steak. It, or not prime rib, filet mignon. A filet mignon. mignon. Yeah. Yeah. So here it was. It was like a $20 burger at the time, uh, which was probably a lot more today, 50 bucks or so. And here he was making, of course, he was thinking it was a regular hamburger. Henry Ford was talking about how great it was when it was really, truly a filet that had been ground into a hamburger. Yeah. I would have hired the chef. I would have taken the easiest way out. Um, 
Happy Brad. What are you doing Saturday afternoon? Could you pop around and um, whip up a couple of hamburgers? Um, well, see, that's a great example of thinking big and acting bigger right there. <laughs> um, in the book, you talk about empowering your employees to, um, to make their own decisions, and that's something I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, so tell us why it's so important. Well, here's a great example. Right away in the book, in fact, the very first chapter, I give what I call this Caitlin story. Yep. I had a young gal working for us at the time. She's now gone off and she's running marketing for a major, major luxury hotel that many of you know, but which is the Trump Plaza. Right. But prior to leaving us, she was working for us at the time, and we're about to go over and meet with the CEO of a company that we're about to take public. So she comes to me and says right before we leave, hey, Jeff, should we take color copies with us of the presentation? And I turned to her and I said, well, Caitlin, you're brand new to us. And since you're new, I'm going to tell you the rules around here. And the rule is you only get to ask me 21 questions. You can ask me about the meaning of life. You can ask me, um, geez, where's the best Italian restaurant? Which train should I take? Uh, what's your advice on this stock? You can ask me any question that you'd like. Let me ask you right now, is that one of your 21 questions? And she turned to me and said, I don't think so. I said, well, good career move, because if I have to answer that question, what do I need you for? Yeah. And now my, my response to her wasn't to be mean, but to be direct about my conditions of satisfaction. Sure. I turned to her and I said, Caitlin, I said, I hired you because you're going to be a superstar. Someday you're going to have my job. That, I saw that in you from the first time I met you. I hired you. I saw you. I've been telling everybody you're going to be a superstar. You're showing us your superstar, except you're asking me questions that you should already know the answers to. Yeah. See, my job as a CEO is to go and hit the mark, which means you get everything ready, and I show up and do my thing. You do your thing, I do my thing. That's called mutual conditions of satisfaction. Now, let me ask you a question. If I said to you right now, Yes, we want color copies. Do you have time to make them? And she said, no, I don't. I said, then never ask me another question like that again. Right. And so there's a great example of how we redefine each of our roles and to understand what those roles are. So like a football team, like a baseball team, like a, a, a team of highly functioning uh, surgeons in an operating room, we all know our job. And we all know what role we play and is very well choreographed. When it's not choreographed well and someone's off a step, then we're out of cadence. When we're out of cadence, we fall behind. And so that was a way in which I could tell her, this is your job. This is what I pay you for. And that's the table stakes. Anything above the table stakes is great stuff. And so this is the way in which we need to set these kind of expectations for the people that work for us. So what did she do? Get to 21 questions and thought, shit, I better get out of here. I'll go to Trump. <laughs> no, she, she started asking me a lot better questions. And, and, they got, and she did a much better job. And she got a better job than what she was doing for us. And so, which, which I supported her 150% on. Sure. I agree. Um, <laughs> people have called you pig-headed and irrational. And, uh, and I can imagine... Um, Having, having seen you speak, and you're a great, great, great speaker, um, but I can imagine you could be pretty abrasive and pig-headed, I can see too, actually. But you say it doesn't bother you. 
No, it's a good thing to be I mean, business leaders to be a bit pig-headed. Well, I guess, I, I I guess what it, it helps to do. It helps to do. Bob, one other thing it helps to do is it eliminates the question of what's he thinking. Yeah. Where does he stand? All right. And by by being pig-headed, by saying two two things. One, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there, and this yeah. is what I expect. Lays out the conditions of satisfaction, the expectations of what we need to do. And anything less than that doesn't meet the mark. And, and I think it's very important for leaders to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, if, if they have to second guess me, if they, if they don't know where I'm standing, if they don't know what level of quality they hit, how can we do it? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think it has to be very visionary. I think it has to be stretching. It has to push us and it has to create what I call the dissidence. It has to create, you know, tension in the system. And I think that's our job as leaders is to create that tension. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, again, Jobs is a great example of that. He, um, he knew exactly what he wanted and people didn't like him and he didn't care because he knew where he was going. And, and because he was so strong, you know, people would follow him anywhere. Apart from the exactly. board, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, but there were a lot of people that didn't like him. He was abusive. Sure. He was abrasive. I mean, and and I get that, but he still was a great leader from that perspective. Oh. Now, you might not want to invite him over for dinner, quite frankly. I've had that. I had that opportunity. And, you know, he's not the kind of guy I want to have hanging around like that. But yeah. would I want him to be able to produce the highest quality product for a you know for the masses? Absolutely. Yeah, right? Without per- question. Absolute perfectionist. Yeah. Um, you say it's imperative for leaders to focus and cut through the noise. What are some? What are, give us some tips on um, how we focus on what matters and don't get distracted by all the bullshit that surrounds us in our general day. Well, I think we are, we have to put on filters quite often, and we have to say this is what's important to us, and we have to learn to spend our time in those areas. So I even put in the book kind of a triangle that I use, a time triangle versus, um, and it laid in there is where I need to spend most of my time. Now, typically, we'd have a triangle with the base at the bottom and the little pointy top thing at the top. And we'd have our highest goals at the top and our next set of goals and then our, you know, all the rest of our goals at the very bottom. And those would be the things we have the highest amount of, you know, things that we set our goals against, and then the next and the next. The good, better, best is the best way to put that. Well, what I do is I flip that triangle around, and I put the triangle, the pointy point, at the very bottom of the uh, of the page, and and what I do is I I put the you know those highest goals, those best, good, better, best, the best things, my gold, platinum kinds of things I need yep. to get done. I I put that in the biggest, broadest point of the triangle, inverted, and that means that's where I spend most of my time. Then I spend least of my time at the very bottom. And so what that does is that gives me a better filter for how I should be focusing my day and focusing where my organization and focusing where my resources are rather than the other way around. And so I get most of my items up in that upper category of saying these are the things, you know, the two or three or five, maybe six things I want to spend most of my time on. And then I, then I, I really seriously say, does it fit into the filter of that? If it doesn't, I don't want to spend any time on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, we all get so many emails 
these days because emails are a bit like pass the monkey, aren't they? You know, I don't want to do it, I can't do it, I don't care about doing it, I'll pass it on to some other poor bastard who's going to worry about it. Um, and it's so easy to do the things that are easy or that appear urgent rather than do the things that are really important to do. And uh, I think we all fall for that a bit. Oh, well, no question. And so the key thing is to is to figure out, put the blinders on and say, what are the most important things to get us to where our goals are? Yeah. And sometimes you have to make choices, and that's what we always have to do. If you sit on a seesaw where it can go up and down, you know, if someone bigger than you sits on the other side, you're going to rise to the very top. So yep. in order to balance that out, something's got to give. All right. And so if, you're, if you really want to drive things, you just got to figure out what do I got to take off my plate in order to push towards the biggest things in my goals. Yeah, it's frustrating for some people. My wife's always saying to me, why don't you read these emails properly? You know, you, you glance through them and you're gone. And, and because they might be important, but not to me. And it's not something yep. that I need to read the right the way through. I've got, you know, I got the gist of it in the first line. It's not my ball game. I'm not reading any further. Um, I read the things that are important. You might miss a few things from here from time to time, but geez, you 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 save a hell of a lot of time. So well, I you know I have one. I have kind of a rule that if you if you get me things, you want to make sure I can read it in the in the screen of an iPhone or yeah. in the subject line. Because those are anything past that, I'm pretty much not reading. Yeah, I just don't have time. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of us like that. Um, what are some examples of companies that steamrolled their way through obstacles? Well, there's a company that I cite in the book, and there's a number of them. But I, I cite Domino's, for instance, where Domino's made some major brand changes and differences. You know, they they went as far as to even. Uh, put out commercials that say their pizza sucked as they changed their brand promise where they changed around the menu. Yeah. They changed the, the, you know, brand promise used to be 30 minutes or it's free, which they cared more about getting you the box than what was in the box. Yep. And so they finally listened to customers and said, no, we're going to care more about what we put in the box than the box itself. Or, you know, another company I use is Scotty Vest. Most people don't know. It's a $10, $15 million company out of Idaho and they actually patented a technology-enabled clothing, a vest. They started with a travel vest that will allow you to put up to like 30, 40 pounds of gear in a vest, and you don't even know you're carrying it. And, and they patented this technology-enabled clothing. And if just and when everybody told them, well, you can't patent a pocket, you can't patent a vest, and they did all these things, and look, $10, $15 million later, yeah. They're a very, very profitable and great little company. Okay. We're running short of time, but if I look to my right, I have 53, I haven't counted these incidentally, but I have about 53,000 at a rough guess business books. <laughs> i got them everywhere. Cupboards full of them, wardrobes full of them, stacked on the floor. Why should I buy your new book? What is it about? Well, first, um, I love that question. I love it because first of all, I'm going to say it's not a business book. It's a book for your life. Right. It's a book about creating better relationships, creating better businesses, creating better life in general. And it's just, and it's a book about saying, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. Like the, like I call the dog soldiers of all. These were the, the meanest, toughest warriors in, in Lakotas and Crow Indians. And they used to stake themselves in the ground away. In, in the middle of battle and never retreat. That's what we're talking about. 
So it's about a mindset for your life, for your business, for your relationships, about saying, I'm going to do the things. We've all sit around and said, gee, what if I could do this? What if I did this? Well, isn't it time to say, I'm going to do it? And that's what this book's about. That's what this book's about. The book is Think Big and Act Bigger. And if you... um no, Jeffrey, that's exactly the way he lives, and it's fantastic. Jeffrey, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn a lot I love, more. I love doing your show. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm, ju- I'm jumping in on over top of you. I'm so excited about doing the show. <laughs> thanks, mate. I appreciate it. You can learn more about Jeffrey by going to hazlet.com. So, Running the Gauntlet was a great read and a treasure of information. I, I loved it. So get yourself a copy of Think Big and Act Bigger. It's out this month. I think it might be out this week. And it's the only way to stand out from the crowd and become a real success story. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to the bob pritchard radio show to connect with bob please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com that's bob at bobpritchard.com now back to the show Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. And today we're broadcasting from beautiful Los Angeles. Where else in the world would you want to live? I'm sure that at one time or another, we've all wished we had the power to be more persuasive with people and to get people to do what you want without them even realizing that you've talked them into it. Now, we've uncovered 11 science-backed strategies for getting people to like you, to buy your stuff, and to give you what you're after. All of these 11 strategies will leave you more powerful. So this week, we're going to cover the first six of these strategies, and next week, we'll tackle the last five. So strategy number one is to use the decoy option to get people to buy your product. I can guarantee you this works because I've used it all my life. Let's say you advertise three subscription levels. For example, $59 for online only, $149 for print only, and $159 for online and print. The option to pay $149 for print only exists because it makes the $159 option for online and print print look much cheaper and a much better buy uh, than it would if you were just um, offering the 59 and the 159 But people look at the 149 and say, geez, that's just print. So 159 when you throw in the online, that's got to be the best deal. So in other words, if you're having trouble selling the most expensive of two products, add a third option whose only function is to make the expensive product look more attractive. Strategy number two in getting, to pe- in getting people to do exactly what you want is to tweak their environment to make them think differently. 
This is called priming, and it's a powerful psychological phenomenon in, in which one stimulus produces a particular response to another stimulus. Often this happens subconsciously. For example, if you're bargaining with somebody, instead of going in a conference room where you know it's going to be toe-to-toe, hard-nosed bargaining across the table, staring into each other's eyes, meet in a coffee shop where you're surrounded by people or meet on a walk and discuss it on a walk. The person is much less likely to become aggressive and you're much less likely to have the decision go a little bit more your way. Strategy number three is to help someone so that they feel that they owe you a favour. So if you help someone with something, they feel obligated to help you in return. So, and then when you're thanked for helping them out, you say, of course, that's what partners do for each other. Don't say, no problem. So say, that's what partners do, do for each other. Make them feel like they're expected to do the same thing in return for you. Strategy number four is to copy the person's body language when making your argument to make them like you. You know, you've heard this a million times before. You've heard it several times before on this show. Um, People like people that look, sound, act like they do. So if you subtly, not obviously, mimic their postures, mimic their mannerisms, mimic their facial expressions, speak at the same pace that they do, then they're more likely to like you. And, you know, they're not even aware that you're doing it. So that is a really powerful tool. Strategy number five, to get people to do what you want them to do, is to speak quickly to get an opponent to agree with you. So have you ever wished you could be more successful at winning discussions and getting people to agree with what your point of view is? Well, to do it, you simply don't give the person that you're speaking with an opportunity to evaluate your arguments. So, you know, we've probably all made a conscious effort through our lives not to overwhelm people when we're speaking to them with hundreds of words per minute, not to speak really quickly. No matter how excited you were or whatever you were talking about, you'd slow it down so that they'd take in every word. Well, the reality is that if you're trying to persuade someone to see your point of view, you don't want to give them time to think about what you're talking about. You want to speak quickly. It doesn't give them the time to think critically. On the other hand, if they already agree with what you're saying, then speak slowly. It reinforces your words and strengthens your argument. You know, you can deliver your argument at three different paces. This would be regarded as slow. It's about 145 words a minute. Or you can speak more moderately at 182 words a minute. Or you can speak very quickly, which is at 214 words per minute. So depending on which one of those you use depends on whether you're winning or losing the argument. So um, 
so the, these findings explain why auctioneers, for example, and, and most salespeople, they talk really fast. They don't want to give you a chance to evaluate the flaws in your argument or think about the next um, bid. You know, look at auctioneers. Do they speak at 100 miles an hour, don't they? And the reason they speak at 100 miles an hour because they're getting a bid and then they're getting another bid and they're getting another bid and they don't give people a chance to sit there and think, gee, $2 million. I wonder if that's a good buy or a bad buy. Let me think about this for a minute because they rely on speaking quickly so that you don't, you know, people don't want, people don't want to lose something. So once they're in the bidding, they want to try and get it. They don't stop and think it through between each bid. So the faster they speak, the quicker um, you get your hand up, the quicker they go on to the next bid and they suck you in and you're more likely to bid it. Now, strategy number six for getting people to like you, to buy stuff and to give you what you're after is to confuse them to get them to comply with your request. It's called disrupt then reframe technique. And for example, when people go door to door selling note cards for charity, the disrupt then reframe technique helped them make twice as much money as when they simply told people they were selling eight cards for $3. In the disrupt then reframe technique, they say to people, these eight cards are only 300 cents. That's less than a cup of coffee for eight cards. That's a bargain. So that disrupts the thought process because people trying to sit there and go, 300 cents, uh, how much is that? What's that in dollars? Um, so they're distracted and they just accept the idea that the price is a good deal and you'll close them. So there's six techniques to get people to buy stuff from you and to um, do what you want. There's 11 altogether. We're going to discuss the next five next week. So today we've discussed six of the 11. We've covered the decoy option, tweaking the environment, helping someone with something to elicit a favor, copying the person's body language, speaking quickly, and disrupting and reframing. So they're the, they're the six we talked about today. And next week we will talk about the other five. Um you know, 11, 11 techniques, they're all really simple and they're all logical and they all make sense um, and they really will assist people to like you, to buy your stuff and to give you what you're after. It's really amazing. It works very well. So <coughs> make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. In fact, one went out today. So thanks for joining us for today's show, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not living right on the edge, you're taking up too much space. So get out of the way or jump. <laughs> it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.